morning, everyone. My name is Pastor Michelle, and it is just such um, an honor and a blessing anytime I am able to share with you uh, and preach up here. At first, when Eric shared with me the sermon series for, for this time, it's a sermon series where we're explaining a worship song. I didn't love it, <laughs> to, be, to be completely honest. Not my favorite thing to do. Uh, if you've uh, been to Impact Church before and you've seen some of my sermons, I love to go very deep into a Bible story, sometimes way too deep, or explain a Bible character. So now I had to explain a song, and it's just really not my expertise. But then I remembered I'm married to the worship leader. Like, I got this. And not only that, he wrote the last song that you all sang. It was in the bag. All right. Okay, honey, we're going to do your song, and this is going to be great. You're just going to explain everything to me. It's like a gimme. And so Frank explained the song and what inspired him. And it turns out he was inspired by the book that he has been trying to get me to read for the last year. It just so happened to be based on this book. And of all books, this book happens to be written by a Catholic saint from the 1500s, and it's about a castle and these lizards and snakes, and at some point there's a butterfly, and he's trying to explain it to me. I didn't love it. I didn't, I didn't love that I had to do this. I did it. I read the book, and I'll be darned if St. Teresa of Avila from 500 years ago isn't one of the most eloquent writers of her time. I don't know a lot of other writers from the 1500s, Shakespeare, and like St. Teresa of Avila, like neck and neck. They're, they're, it's pretty good. Uh, I've got one quote here. I'm not going to stumble through the book. I've just put it on the iPad. So one quote uh, just right away here that really stood out to me. Uh, she says, It seems to me that we will never truly know ourselves unless we seek to know God. Glimpsing his greatness, we recognize our own powerlessness, See, they really like it. Uh, gazing upon his purity, we notice that we are impure. Pondering his humility, we see how far from humble we really are. She's explaining that the only way to truly know ourselves is to first know God. Know the character of God, and then we find our true identity in him. It's beautiful. Uh, here's my take on this book, which I will kind of take us through his song and, and how he was inspired in this book. I'm not taking her work or uh, recommending it as gospel to anybody, right? Only the gospel is gospel. Uh, in fact, after reading it, I would really recommend this to someone who can discern between biblical truths, and there is some traditional Catholic teaching, so you got to be able to kind of wade through that and discern that. But that being said, there is a ton of perspective that she offers and a lot of beautiful writing. Uh, what she's written is now known as the interior castle. So I'm not sure I was going to try to put a picture on the screen, but there's this sort of spiraling castle on the cover here. It's essentially an elaborate analogy to some of the most deep theological concepts uh, explained in scripture that we don't always tackle on a Sunday morning. Uh, and I, I see why they're hard to explain. But as I read through, I realized she found this powerful analogy of the interior castle uh, to explain these historically debated topics. And there are three things. It's on your notes if you want to take notes with me today on these three. Uh, it's provenient grace, sanctification, and entire sanctification. All three of these concepts I didn't have explained to me until years after I became a Christian, and it wasn't until meeting Nazarene pastors, because we're part of the Church of the Nazarene denomination, it wasn't until meeting Nazarene pastors that anybody explained these concepts well. I've only actually heard two sermons on the topic of entire sanctification, 
One we, was because I researched for it. I tried to Google one to study for my district pastor's license. I said, okay, I'm just going to find a sermon on it. It was actually really hard to find. And the other one was from Dr. Balzer, our district superintendent, here um, about a year ago. So in some regards, these theological principles of provenient grace, sanctification, and entire sanctification, they can get complicated. It's probably why most people don't touch them in this setting, uh, because you want to do them justice. You want people to walk away and get it. Uh, but in another way, really, these gifts and ways of our God can be explained very simply and very beautifully. And I believe that is what St. Teresa of Avila does in her book, and that's what I believe Frank has been able to translate really well in his song. Uh, so whether he likes it or not, I've picked apart Frank's song, and I've put it into three main sections that will teach uh, about what God is offering us to these concepts. So let's look through the first verse that I think leads us through understanding what provenient grace is. So here's the first verse. I have wandered, I have stumbled outside the gates of paradise, chasing echoes, chasing shadows, trying to feed my appetites, until I heard your voice sing sweetly, calling me to turn my eyes to come and enter your great kingdom and awaken in your light. This verse is explaining that time in all of our lives when we were stumbling, when we were living outside of God's plan for us, wandering, stumbling, trying to feed our own appetites, our own flesh nature. And yet, in the middle of that, we hear his voice. There's something in all of us stirring now, or you can think back to last year, 10 years of you have been following God for decades, but you can remember what you were like before Christ. And somehow, in the midst of that sin, you heard God's voice. It's our first theological concept of prevenient grace. is a grace that comes before, a divine, enabling grace that exists before any human action towards God. Have you ever thought back and appreciated God's hand of provision in your life that brought you to this moment? Maybe it's the first person who taught you about Jesus. So the first person, uh, whoever invited you to church. Maybe it's a time when you remember you were so far from God, and yet you had a feeling, you didn't know where it came from, but you didn't want to be there anymore. It wasn't your place. I have a few uh, very distinct moments in my life uh, before I became a Christian. Um, two very real, very vulnerable very hard to share with you moments, and I couldn't choose between either one to share. Um, as Bob put it a few moments ago, it's a lose-lose situation. <laughs> Whichever story I share with you, there are going to be people here who you're going to walk away, and you're not going to know what you think about me anymore. But I'm going to share one of these stories, and I couldn't choose. So I thought, um, let's make it fun, and you're going to choose. And so, <laughs> uh, I, without telling you exactly what happens either, because you don't know what's going to happen in any of these stories, uh, one's pretty spooky and eerie, and we're going to call it Hell House. And the other one uh, is like true crime, wait, because you know what it is, don't you? Uh, ooh. And the other one is like true crime documentary, and we're going to call it Skating Rink. Because you all know, right? You all know. You know what I mean when I say Hell House. And anybody here not from Maryland or it is your first time at church today, I am so sorry. But, but you, some of you, has anybody ever been? Do you know exactly what I'm talking about? Okay, this was the story. This is why I just let God choose. And this is weird to say. Uh, all right. 
back in the day, I had some not great friends. One friend in particular, she's actually in both stories, uh, but she invited me to the park one day. We're just going to go to Patapsco Park and walk around. It's a beautiful day like today. Uh, and it turns out, oh, actually, there's something here that we should really check out. It's called Hell House. What? So if you're not familiar, deep in Patapsco Park is the burned down old ruins of an old Roman Catholic seminary. It was in the 1800s that the seminary existed, and so many rumors exist about exactly why it closed down. Anything from a priest abused the students, from a priest killed all the students, to a priest killed himself, anything. Like, imagine the worst possible scenario. That was rumored about this. And then when it closed down, it burned down mysteriously in about the 1970s or 80s. And after that, people would go there and do any number of terrible, wicked things. Like, bad stuff happened. And then it easily became named as Hell House. People would say, oh, yeah, I took pictures there. And then later in my pictures, like, ghosts showed up. That was one of the things that was rumored. Um, you know, whether you believe in any of that or not, I can tell you, I went there. You're walking up the stairs. Another rumor was uh, because it was a boys' school that any girl who walked up the stairs, you'd get uh, pushed by the boys that were, like, still there. So you're like, I'm not sure if I'm feeling it or not. Uh, this is weird either way. Uh, so I'm walking around. There's um, a big uh, cross, just a huge cross, right in the middle of these burned-down ruins. Um, it was just a, a really wild experience. I knew... I didn't want to be there. I was not a Christian. I didn't understand God, Jesus, any of that. Something in me, I did not want to be there. This is where the story is going to turn. Uh, so I went home that night, and I'm in my room. I'm 15 years old. I've got a lava lamp. Those were still cool. Uh, and so it's, you know, bubbling. It's doing its thing. It's got, you know, the bubbles are on the wall. I always look at this thing. It kind of relaxes me. I struggle with anxiety. So it was like a nice, soothing thing at night to watch. And then the bubbles weren't little blobs. They weren't bubbles anymore. They were faces. I told you this story is weird. I told Frank this story. and he's like, I promise. Like, I didn't do any drugs. I was bad, but I had never done drugs. I wasn't. You can reason, you know, reason whatever you want. I know what I saw. And it was the scariest thing in my life blanket went over my head, and I prayed. Nobody taught me how to pray. Nobody taught me who God was. I prayed the hardest I've ever prayed in my life. Maybe an hour passed, <laughs> and I put back down the blanket, and they were gone, and it was back to bubbles. I can't explain that. I can't. All I know is that God helped me. <laughs> God helped me, and I needed to find new friends. And so I did. I did. I found new friends. <laughs> like, after both of these stories, they happened pretty back-to-back. -back. Uh, and it, I was at a place in my life where I knew I needed change. And I thank God for his provision. And I found new friends. And they were Christians. And they kept inviting me to thing after thing in church. And, and I didn't know what they had, but I knew that I wanted it. And I was drawn to it. And there are scriptures that describe provenient grace as well. One of them is Romans when Paul is writing about those who are unrighteous and how even they know about God. In chapter 1, verse 19 through 20, he says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because it to them. 
for his invisible attributes, namely his internal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, and these things have been made. So, and oh, another one, Jesus himself in John's gospel says, and I, when I was lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. See, his prevenient grace will draw us in. At 15, I was unrighteous. I was blindly going where others were taking me. But we are made in his likeness. And while we know we are born in sin, we are also created in his image, right? We're, his design is in us, and that is huge. I am thankful for God's power, his divinity, that were made visible to me, um, and that led me away from sin. So if that's you, if you've got a memory, maybe it's not as super weird as mine, but if you've got a memory where God clearly provided for you in the midst of whatever it was that you were doing, celebrate that and be that light and invitation for someone else for provenient grace. For St. Teresa of Avila, she parallels this concept of provenient grace in her writing on the interior castle. You see, the premise of her work in this interior castle is that our souls um, have this castle and that uh, we're being led further and further into the castle where we can meet with God. And in her writing, she walks you through seven interior rooms. And the deeper you walk, the more you go in these rooms, the closer and closer you get to God, the deeper your soul is getting to meeting with God. But for our salvation, she says it's like we're on the outside of the castle. It's like the outer court, she says. And she describes the outside of the castle having shadows and creatures, lizards and snakes and everything come in. Uh, these were her parallels to worldly matters. And so here's a quick quote that she talks about that I feel like captures this provenient grace. She says, Many souls hang around the outer courtyard where the guards are. They are not interested in getting inside the castle. These souls are so used to dealing with the nasty creatures that inhabit the outer walls of the castle that they've become almost like them. But every once in a while, they break free, and then they realize they are not going the right way to get to the castle's front door. And so God's provenient grace is that enabling. It's what brought some of us to church in the first place. Provenient grace is transformative. It's that voice that always told us that we were made some, for something more than what we were settling for. But provenient grace is not salvation. It's not salvation, but it draws us there. See, that wasn't so hard. We got our first fancy word down, provenient grace. So next fancy word, sanctification. We'll see this. Oh, is it? Do, I, you know you can't tell when it's happening to you? Yeah, isn't that sting? All right. Now I don't, uh, I don't judge you as much. Like, how can he not know <laughs> that it's making that noise? Because you don't know. All right. Uh, so the next uh, verse from Frank's song. Here we go. Praise the Lord our God, who has called me by name. He has broken every shackle. He has conquered death and grave. Oh, praise the Lord our God, who has freed me from myself. He is calling us deeper still. Be still and know he's here. Again, my past and all my failures have come to sentence me to death. But he says, child keep drawing near i have paid your every debt conquered death and grave paid our every debt this is our salvation moment we've recognized god's provenient grace we've turned away from our sin we've repented and because of jesus's sacrifice on the cross his perfect atonement we are free we're forgiven we are sanctified 
Sanctification is the work of God which transforms believers into the likeness of Christ. Very simply, you're a new creation. You're new. We see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Obviously, we mean you are spiritually new. It's not like your hair color is going to change or like you physically change. You're going to look any different. But if you've met with Christ, you're truly transformed. There should be noticeable changes. I know I've shared with you many times uh, that I struggle with anxiety, uh, crowds, this whole thing, speaking actually kind of works me up a little bit. And in a lot of ways, I've overcome much of that. I'm thankful for um, how God has been able to use even my challenges sometimes, but there are still plenty of ways I can grow. Um, But it used to be really bad. It used to be really bad. Last time I shared uh, with you all, I shared a story about how I never wanted to participate in school, right? I didn't want to raise my hand. Like even responding with my body doing this was very vulnerable for me. I I didn't like that. Uh, But growing up, I had this teacher, third grade teacher, and she really loved spelling bees. Like she must have won a spelling bee and just wanted to pass on this great feeling of winning the spelling bee to all of us. She clearly just never lost a spelling bee um, and really must have understood what it feels like to lose the spelling bee. I lost all the spelling bees. So uh, she loves spelling bees. And then not only that, but she turned it into a relay race kind of a thing. I don't know if your teacher was ever this cruel to you too, but she would uh, divide the class up into two sections and you had to line up and then she'd say the word and you had to run up to the front of the class and you had to like write the word and you know, you're in front of everybody. Then you you had to do it the fastest because you had to get your chalk back to chalk. You had to get your chalk back to the next person in line and she'd say that word and then you're going up and you're right. That's a whole thing. And then it's my turn. She might as well have said, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, doesn't matter, the other person, pew, my line. I stood there and I cried. <laughs> like, I, I couldn't do it. And I'm sure if Eric were on my team, he'd be like, great, Michelle's on my team. Because you know, I am just going to stand there and cry and go up to the board and write an S and then put my chalk down. It's mostly like I was mad at this point. Like, really, are we doing this activity again? And go to the back of the line. It really wasn't successful for me. I'm going somewhere with this. Um, so... <laughs> The day I became a Christian, my sanctification moment, I was at a conference. All my friends were there, the new ones. I went with the new friends. Uh, They kept inviting me to things, and um, I finally said yes. Y'all, guess what the name of that conference was? Impact. I kid you not. Impact conference out in Ocean City was this huge youth group thing, and everybody would go. So I went to Impact Conference, and there was a speaker who just really caught my attention. It resonated with me in a way that I hadn't heard the gospel before. Um, And he was one of those youth pastors that did the big altar call. You know what? Sometimes people make fun of this as if it's gimmicky. But he said, you know what? If that's you and you made a decision, I want you to run up here right now. I've never run faster in my life. It was it. It was me. I'm going to do the thing. I run up in front of everybody. My friends who probably thought I was a lost cause, complete strangers. I just, my body did a thing my body never does. I ran up to the front and there was a worship song and I was dancing. I don't dance. Uh, There was, I was raised, like I was responding in this way that was different. It was extremely unlike me. And the next day, 
anybody who had made that decision had to stand up and share with everybody how they made that decision and why they made that decision. And I did that like it was nothing too. I was not only free from the bondage of my personal sin, I was free from things that held me back. After that, I was baptized. I started attending church regularly. I actually led my first ministry at 19, and I started this coffeehouse-style ministry. It was all the rage back then, uh, that you would invite these local Christian bands, and you'd invite your friends and people to come hang out. That's how I met Eric and his brother Shane, because his church had a similar coffeehouse youth group thing, and then we'd all go to our coffeehouse youth group things um, and play. Your bands would play at each other's events. Um, it was just really funny how life turns out when you spend time thinking about all the ways that it could have gone. But you can't stop here. You can't stop here. You learn about sanctification, you go through that, and it's beautiful. It's literally life-saving. But most churches, most sermons stop there, and we can't because there's more. It's not a, yep, then I led ministries and attended Bible studies. I can kind of relax from going to church. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I made that decision. Yep, I remember that conference. Yep, I went right to the front. Done and done. A few people know my testimony about going to that conference, but only one other person knows that my friend from the first story, she was at that conference. She had actually gone with a different youth group, and we ran into each other. Oh, hey, it's you. Oh, my God, you're here. I'm here. Oh, my gosh. She had gone to the front, too. Oh, wow, that's amazing. Oh, okay. And I tried to stay with her and pray uh, with her at her youth group. And then she came over to my youth group kind of cluster. Um, and we traded stories. And I remember trying to stay in touch with her. But we went home from that conference. And when she went home, she went back to that same circle of friends. She went back to that same group. Um, it was a, a very long uh, struggle with her. And she just gave right back into um, just some very serious addiction. Um, and I remember just trying to help as best I could. I was young. I, I probably didn't even know what I was doing, but I tried to help. And long story short, it got into some dangerous situations again that I, I had to remove myself. But you ask, or I ask, you know, how could this happen? She went to the front too. She experienced the sanctification too. I, I don't understand. And I, I believe that moment for her was authentic. What happened? I'm reminded of Paul writing this to the church in Rome. Romans 6, uh, 11 through 15 says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as, though you, as, though, as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourselves to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Who is Paul talking to? He's talking to the church. He's talking to people that have been through that sanctification. These are believers. Yet he's telling them not, not to sin. Why? Because they're still prone to sin. They're still inclined to that nature. So many Christians live in what St. Teresa of Avila would call the first few rooms of this inner castle. It's in these first few rooms that as she portrays it, the snakes and the lizards and the shadows, they've kind of followed you in. God is calling us to more than checking a salvation box, just waiting in the lobby of his castle. In fact, we must do more 
so that we do not risk giving in to sin again as if we're not changed at all. This is one of the most impactful quotes of the book. I underlined it, and then Frank kind of freaked out. I used pen in his book. Uh, but listen, listen how St. Teresa explains what can happen even after someone has entered in to the castle, into sanctification. She says, if we do not remain conscious, the spirit of evil will sneak in and like silent sandpaper will gradually cause damage in all kinds of insidious little ways we may not even realize until it's too late. And for my friend, when she became unconscious to nurturing her soul and her relationship with God, her silent sandpaper was addiction gradually easing its way back in unnoticed. But for some of us, for some of us, it's even sneakier. See, we're saved. We're Christians. We're totally not going to do drugs. You know, we're not going to go rob a convenience store. You know, I'm mad at my neighbor, but I'm not going to kill him. His cat might go missing, but I'm not going to kill him. You know, I'm not, I'm not at like risk for these things. You're not talking about me. I'm good. But until we are entirely sanctified, and we'll end with what that means, You've got some silent sandpaper you need to be listening for. We all do. It's subtle. It's subtle. The closer you grow in Christ, though, the more you can hear it. It's the way we talk to our kids when they let us down. It's assuming the worst and not believing the best. It's expecting apologies before offering forgiveness. It's the words we call the person who cut us off. It's the gratification we get when a friend who's been doing so much better than us lately has finally failed. It's the submission to our own negative self-talk until all we do is complain and give up. It's a, well, I'm not going to do this until they do that. Or it's a secret. It's a secret. It's something you've never really had to come to terms with because only you know. I see now why St. Teresa calls these things snakes and lizards and shadows. They're not only gross and creepy, they're quiet. I've never really bumped into a barking snake or like a roaring lizard or unless you've got Peter Pan's shadow. They're really quiet, calm, sneaky things, right, that deceive us until we're living unhealthy habits that we don't even notice anymore. And that brings us to entire sanctification and the bridge for the song, Every Part to You. Here's the last section, and we'll close with this. Face to face and heart to heart. Lord, we surrender every part to you, all our glory, all our weakness, all our victory, all failure, every anxious thought, every broken heart, all we are to all of you and you alone. Entire sanctification is full surrender of self, full surrender of self, entirely devoted to God and growing in Christian holiness. Full surrender of self. Entire sanctification and Christian holiness doesn't mean that you're perfect and completely sinless because you're not Jesus, but it does mean that your natural inclination is no longer sin nature. You're more patient with your kids. You're more aware of your tone and the impact that words can have. That person cut you off, but you pray that the rest of their trip will be safe and that God will speak to them in some way. We are genuinely happy for the friend who got the promotion while we're still in our miserable job that we hate. You greet your boss, even though that last meeting didn't go so well, and you ask her if she needs anything before the next meeting starts. You serve your spouse dinner anyway, even if they wouldn't have done that for you. 
Your sibling's not sorry, but you've already forgiven them. And your actions have no evidence of a grudge or a point. There are no secrets because everything you used to do in secret is detestable to you now. You couldn't fathom going back there. Wouldn't you want to be on the receiving end of all of that? If we live that way, how much more peaceful would the world be? How can we achieve this? How is this lifestyle even possible? The Apostle Paul puts it this way. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Our bodies are a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God. We're talking about a worship series. This Christian holiness and that sacrificial surrender is true and perfect worship to our God. We are to be transformed by a renewing, an ongoing renewing of our mind. Not a final renewal, but an ongoing renewal of our mind growing closer and closer to Christ. Entire sanctification, oh, that reminds me, you can come up and play. Uh, entire sanctification is a decision and purification, both in an instant and a maturing of spirit over time. There is always a next step towards Christ. There always is. For St. Teresa of Avila, it's her seventh most inner dwelling in her interior castle. Uh, she says, even though in the other dwellings of the interior castle, it's noisy and chaotic, and poisonous creatures slither around, no one can enter this innermost chamber and force the soul out of it. One of the outcomes of this transformation is a forgetfulness of self. It's as if the soul ceases to be. She doesn't remember anything about heavenly afterlife or personal honor. Everything in her is dedicated to honoring God. Is everything in you dedicated to honoring God, every move you make, every thought that you think. And if not, like why not? What, what else are we doing? What else are we prioritizing in life? What have we made more important than this? Take stock in all that God has brought you through, his provenient grace in your life that brought you to salvation. Take stock in, in the salvation that he has offered you in that sanctification and keep walking toward him because there's more. There's more in this entire sanctification and it's peace and it's freedom and it's the kind of faith and worship that Jesus calls us to live out. So let's pray. God, I thank you um, just for what you make available to us, Lord, that you are always calling us to more. God, um, your son who makes it possible, your provenient grace, chasing us down, chasing us down <laughs> before we even knew what was coming, God, before we even knew you. God, we recognize those moments in our lives. I thank you for your sanctification and your cleansing, your forgiveness of our sin. And we thank you that there is more, even in this life, even right now, we can live in that Christian holiness. And in order to do that, we lay down ourselves. God, I lay down all of my ambitions, God. My heart, my failures, my victory. 
just as the song says, just as Frank wrote, God, I lay it all down. I pray for every single person here that they uh, are led into that too, that they will go deeper and deeper into that mystical world, that interior castle um, that you've provided in our souls, Lord. And we worship you in your son's name.